every therapist ought to have a big brass plaque not, that not only has their name, but to say, be careful. If you come into therapy, it's going to change your life. And you may not hang out with the same friends anymore. This may even alter your marriage. This may, will give you such a new outlook on life. But you may not like the old way. So you may not want to be going back to the pub and hanging out with the people you used to hang out with. You might be wanting to go somewhere else to meet some new people. Yeah. Things are going to change for you. Danger. This therapy <laughs> will be beneficial to your health. This is Three People in Your Head. A podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. This is episode two of our interview with Richard Erskine. Richard is the training director at the Institute for Integrative Psychotherapy, a clinical psychologist and an author of numerous books and articles on the practice of psychotherapy. We recorded this in London in November 2019 when Richard kindly agreed to a second interview after we had technical issues with our first recording. We cover a range of subjects including his favourite TA books, the qualities to look for in a psychotherapist and the rewards of working in this field. So Richard, last time we got together, John asked you the question, what is it that you think about TA therapists that makes them different or what is it about their training that makes them useful? Why would someone want to go and see a TA therapist? First of all, I think it's the thoroughness of the training. It provides a theoretical structure yeah. of understanding the personality, um, a way to look at how people get trapped in old patterns yeah. that can be called, that can be described as games or, or scripts, or how they get caught in the same favorite feeling all the time, which we, we call rackets. Um, it looks at how people structure their time yeah. in terms of withdrawing or rituals or activities, which eventually the possibility is intimacy. It gives the therapist a conceptualization. It's also an understanding of how the personality is divided into parts, like you said, the three people in your head, the parent, adult, and child, and how each of them influence the person in a different way, and how the therapist can address each of those parts and resolve the internal conflict between those parts. Sometimes that's also done by analyzing transactions, looking at what we call complementary transactions, where they're smooth and easy, or cross-transactions that leave a person confused, in conflict, wanting to fight back and argue yeah. or to withdraw. So transactional analysis has a very good conceptualization of human personality. And in recent years, then, much more elaboration on how the therapist can respond to the person okay. in, in terms of being attuned to what's going on in them uh, to account for the client's welfare. Yeah. And when you say in recent years, that wasn't necessarily the case earlier on? Byrne did not write much about methods and what he actually did with his patients. I think he left that to the future generation to describe what do we actually do with patients. Okay. So if you read Byrne's early writings, he's very vague of what happens in the therapy room. Others of us in recent times have written much more exactly what do we do when we're working with a client. Okay. So you've got a rich body of literature. You've got 50 years of the Transactional Analysis Journal publishing 
a wide variety of wonderful articles. Um, there's probably maybe maybe a hundred books, certainly fifty good books are out there on transactional analysis, and a half a dozen that I really consider my basic textbooks. And can you list them? <laughs> well, useful. I think the most important book for me that yeah. has been a major influence in my life and shaping me is Transactional Analysis in Psychotherapy, in written in 1961 yeah. by Byrne. Um, then in 2016, I edited a book called Transactional Analysis in Contemporary Psychotherapy to show how TA had grown in the 50 years interim. Okay. Um, then, oh, that last book, that's not for the beginner. That's, that's more for somebody who's had three or four years of training, and then they want to go into some of the finer details. Okay. Then there's Burns' Structure and Dynamics of Organization and Groups. I think yeah. that's very useful, particularly for people who want to use TA in more of the social fields like education and business. But he has some good ideas about doing group work in yeah. there. What do you say after you say hello? I love reading the book. It's a very entertaining kind of book. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was put together after Byrne died from his notes. So there's some inconsistencies in there. He defines things in one chapter one way and another chapter in another way. Okay. Because I don't think he ever worked his way through proofing the book. But if you can handle that, it's a very interesting book, a thought-provoking book. Yeah. As I mentioned to you when we were coming in here, I loved I'm Okay, You're Okay when that came out. Yeah. It made a big hit in America and opened transactional analysis to a lot of, of people. Um, That's my first introduction. And, and, and the other book that I recommend, in fact, I used to buy it for people coming to my workshops and give it away, was Muriel James and Dorothy Youngwood's book, Born to Win. And it's TA with a lot of experiential exercises. If a person really wants a great self-help book. And so would you say that that might be a good book for someone who knows very little about TA? Definitely. I was born to win. I'm okay. You're okay. Whereas Burns TA in psychotherapy is really written for psychoanalysts. Yeah. Um, He's writing as a transaction analyst to psychoanalysts and saying, hey, look what I've discovered. And last time we talked, you were sharing some of your experience and what you think is the most important part of the work that you do relationally with your clients. And you shared a bit about how it was kind of like your intention and the the connection rapport that you have with the client was very important. Is that part of what you're describing as what has developed in more recent years? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think you find any of that really expelled out in the first 10 years of the Transactional Analysis Journal uh, or in any of the early books. Um, That's things that um, people like Bill Cornell, Joe Suffridge, uh, some of the people at my Noya Institute uh, in London have done, like Charlotte Sills, writing about in her book called Relational TA. So in what I've written in beyond empathy or in relational patterns, therapeutic presence. That's about what actually happens in the therapy room. How do you apply the theory in actual practice? Okay, so if um, someone was to be listening to this and they don't know much about psychotherapy or transactional analysis, how would you put that in layman's terms? Let me personalize it. Yeah. First of all, I think it begins with my commitment to the welfare of the client. Yeah. This is 
the central ethic in all ethics. We've got to have that sense of being committed to their welfare. Uh, then the next thing is I listen. And I listen intently. And I take the position that I know nothing about this other person's experience. Right. So that all my training, all my theory, my supervision isn't adequate enough to help me know this person. So I have to listen and listen. And they can't just talk on their own. I've got to inquire and inquire in such a way that I bring out what's going on. What are they feeling? What are they thinking? What are they imagining? What's going on? But that's not going to happen unless I create an emotionally safe place for them to do that. Yeah. So it's about building emotional safety, creating a real interest in who they are, keeping their welfare in mind, and somehow, without using the words, communicating that, and allowing a safe place for them to tell their story, often for the very first time. And what would you say is the um, most important qualities? So if somebody was looking for a psychotherapist or, or a TA therapist, how might they know? If this is a good one, what are the most important qualities do you think in terms of being able to deliver what you described as these transformations? Being present, yeah. being honest, being congruent. I mean, to, to really practice what we teach, um, to be patient, to be interested. All of that, be interested, be patient, to stay congruent, to 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 put our behavior where our mouth is. Um, yeah. And when you say present, so what exactly do you mean by present? I teach mindfulness myself. You know, that's all about being present in the um, moment. But for you, what is that? It, it, well, I spelled it out in the book Beyond Empathy, but it, essentially it's not having our own agenda. Not having the theory dictate what we're doing in therapy. Not having some goal in the therapy but to be almost mindless, not mindful, so that we can fully listen to the other person without any preconceived notion, without any prejudice. Right. Okay. Now, at the same time, we've got all of our history. We've got our childhood history growing up, what we've suffered through in life, what has been exciting in life. We have our training with our theories. We have your supervision. You've got all that experience, and what do you do with it? Well, I, I envision myself sitting in a library with all of these volumes of information behind me. Yeah. And then the client is in front of me, and I, I have no preconceived idea where we're going, but I'm listening, 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 and then suddenly something stimulates me to turn to one of these volumes of information. And then I use it to inform my inquiry. So it's, right, it's that, that movement back and forth between focus totally on them and then using my experience. Back to them, using my experience. Now, how do I use it? I have some idea, some memory, or some theory, and then I turn it into a series of inquiries so that the client is, winds up telling me their experience. Right. Okay. One of the things you said at the end of uh, the last session that was missed, you gave a warning about getting involved with transactional analysis, which was quite amusing. 
So tell me more about what well, you I, said and what you meant. <laughs> I think every therapist ought to have a big brass plaque not, that not only has their name, but just say, be careful. If you come into therapy, it's going to change your life. And you may not hang out with the same friends anymore. This may even alter your marriage. Um, this may, will give you such a new outlook on life, but you may not like the old way. So you may not want to be going back to the pub and hanging out with the people you used to hang out with. You might be wanting to go somewhere else to meet some new people. Yeah. Things are going to change for you. And I think we don't give that, that warning. Uh, it should say, danger, this therapy <laughs> will be beneficial to your health. You know, just the opposite of what it says on cigarette packages, where it says, be careful, this is dangerous to your health. (laughs) Well, here, warning this will be beneficial to your health. And for you personally, what do you think have been the biggest changes that have occurred in your life? Because we can all do this. Imagine what life may have been like had we not got involved in the path of therapy. Yeah, for For me personally. I imagine I would have gotten burned out as a special ed teacher. Right. Um, Particularly where I was working when a a lot of the riots occurred following the death of Martin Luther King or uh, Bobby Kennedy. Um, I think I was in a difficult situation. I think I was well accepted and respected there, but I think the school system not being able to really deliver the kind of education and particularly the protection for special ed kids yeah. probably would have burned me out right. and be working in a stressful environment. And um, I was working with gang kids. I mean, I was fortunate. I walked back and forth between home and the school. But there were many times I'd have kids say, we're waiting for you, Mr. Erskine. We're going to walk you home. Really? That's my protection. Yeah. Um, because there was other gang in the, who didn't know who I was. Yeah. But, yeah, I think like many wonderful teachers, they probably get disillusioned with the system after a while. Yeah. I imagine that could have happened. What would I have done? I think I would have gone into restoration architecture. <laughs> that's what I was interested in at <laughs> that's the time. interesting you know <laughs> when you laugh I think maybe that's what I have done <laughs> yeah no, I was going to say it's very similar May, maybe I I am still trying to restore antique architecture because where I lived at the time it was in an old part of the city and I was very interested I'd go by and look at buildings and say oh I could refurbish that building keep the antique facade mm. and make it very modern inside. Yeah. Since then, that's become a big business. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about 50 years ago when it, when it wasn't. But as I tell you this, I'm chuckling to myself because that's what I do with people. I, I look at this archaic structure of people's lives that might be falling apart, mm. and I engage in the process of restoration. Some great illustrations coming up. Um, in your personal life, what's the uh, the breakdown in terms of how much time you spend now as a therapist, seeing clients, and uh, with training? Because I know you do a lot of training. I have one client, and I I have that one client at seven o'clock in the morning, three or four days a week when I'm at home, and 
I'm dealing with a very, very abused little boy with a psychotic mother. Um, my job is to keep him, was to keep him alive. Now I'm not worried about that anymore. Mm. But it's to keep him really functioning and, and having a purpose in life. Mm. And, and maybe having a bit of pleasure in his life. So the, and that's a client that I've carried over after I moved. But I, I retired some years ago, and I stopped seeing patients. Uh, but I do a number of therapeutic marathons a year. I do, oh, maybe seven or eight five-day intensive therapy uh, retreats, um, usually with 18, 20 people, mm. where we do some really in-depth psychotherapy because we're together for several days and often in a residential setting so it allows us to to work deeply and, and quite profoundly and then i do a number of formal teachings um and uh seminars in eight or nine countries a year right yeah, so I'm on the go all the time. Yeah. And then, no, I, really I, retired. <laughs> well, yeah, my idea of retirement is, is I'm doing these kind of workshops about 100 to 120 days a year. Wow. Well, that, that leaves me, That's what, uh, another 200 days <laughs> plus uh, mostly to write, to read. I'm still an avid reader in the field. Yeah. Although a lot of the stuff I've been reading lately seems a repetition of, of other ideas. Okay. And, and, and I'm writing. And when you yeah. say a repetition of other ideas, do you feel like that there is a, a need for fresh material or fresh ideas? No, I think there's just a lot of copying from each other, a lot of influence of each other. We, we've really gone through a revolution in the psychotherapy field. It's the relational turn in the field. Psychotherapy throughout, let's just say in my professional lifetime, because I started in 64, um, was very mechanistic. And the, even the theories were somewhat mechanistic. The, the way we proceeded, what we did, was very mechanistic. Really, always towards behavioral outcomes. Change, yeah. change, change. Yeah. You get that in Gestalt therapy and, and particularly in TA. Then, starting in the mid to late 1980s, and certainly by the time I published Integrative Psychotherapy in Action in 1988. There was a shift to focusing on the relationship. The therapy was a self-created, it was a, a dual-created process. Yeah. Not just the therapist doing something to someone, but being with someone in that process. We co-created. Yeah. That the relationship was of utmost importance. So... In 1990, I wrote an article on inquiry, attunement, involvement in the psychotherapy dissociation, where I tried to say to transactional analysts, we need to be much more attuned to people. We need to really show our involvement and our interest, and we have to do that with lots of inquiry. Instead of telling them what's going on, what our theory dictates, mm to inquire and pull out from them what's happening and to focus on the significance of the relationship between us. Now, that came about the time there's been a whole relational shift in the field of psychotherapy. So now you've got people calling themselves relational psychoanalysts. 
relational transactional analyst, relational gestalt therapist. Right. But I think that's because relationship has been at the core yeah. in the beginning. And this is what Carl Rogers tried to say in his 1950 book, Client-Centered Therapy. And so we, we've, we've come full cycle, but I think it's a nice end of the cycle now. Right. Yeah. Okay. And are there any um, interesting developments that you're aware of in theory or any writings that particularly fascinate you at the moment? I know you said last time that you had written a couple of papers or won an award for something you've written recently. Is there anything that particularly is spiking your interest? What I've just finished writing will be published in December of this year in the International Journal of Integrative Psychotherapy is an article taking child development theory and research and showing how we make use of that in adult psychotherapy. Okay. So that particularly important to the TA therapist who's always thinking about the inner child in someone yeah. and how to identify that inner, inner child with what we know from the literature on child development theory. So for me, that's an important frontier. I have other colleagues who are interested in things like EMDR, yeah. which is a, a form of hypnosis. I know they don't particularly like yeah. that, but it, yes, since you were a hypnotherapist, yeah. I think you can see the hypnotic qualities yeah. in EMDR. Um, or also another technique called brain spotting. I have a colleague that does something called brain spotting. Again, it's somewhat like EMDR. I think it's somewhat hypnotic. But he says he gets some very good results of it. But you know, th those are new developments and ideas that I haven't spent time to really investigate. Um, my wife is trained as EMDR therapist, and um, she talks about using it often. Mm -hmm. And the, many of the people who are in my Vancouver seminar are EMDR therapists. Yeah. And so I'm impressed by the results they get. Yeah. But I've never studied it, and I don't know how to use it for myself. Okay. Um, I think what's happening elsewhere in, in the field, there's, there's so much happening. The explosion of literature is such that even though I read tremendous amount, I can't keep up. Yeah. And I've been focusing more on reading the child development literature. Okay. And you were talking about going full circle. That's very applicable then in terms of your history and how you came into therapy originally then, working with... Well, I, I, spent, I spent my first several years even working is, as a child therapist. Mm -hmm. uh, the first book I wrote was about uh, infantile autism and childhood psychosis, mm -hmm. trying to make sense of what was in the literature in the late uh, 60s and, and the beginning of 1970. Um, so I'm still a child therapist. Except my clients are now 30, 40, 50 years of age. <laughs> right. But I'm looking for the kid all yeah. the time. Okay. And I'm looking for that neglected, hurt child in my grown-up clients. Okay. So, uh, I'm just trying to think of other questions that we haven't yet asked uh, around transactional analysis. Here's a question. I'm not sure we asked it last time. So what do you think is the reason why transactional analysis isn't better known publicly now in comparison to other forms of therapy? Or other well, I'm not so sure that's true. Okay. I, I think TA is fairly well known in some places. It depends on how it's been promoted in those places. Yeah. It's certainly well known in terms of the fact that 
much of the TA concepts has become common lexicon. Um, the idea of script. Yeah. People talk about script. I remember when Obama gave a speech in which he said um, about how he were, had been living out some kind of life script. Um, people talk about games. Uh, people talk about cross-transactions. Those are all TA ideas that have become part of the common lexicon and discussion. So people know some of the ideas. Uh, even people talk about, oh, that's my inner child. Yeah. All right. Or that's the parent in my head. People didn't talk that way before Byrne developed TA. I'm, I'm sure. I didn't hear that when I was a young man. Okay. Um, and I think that that's how TA has influenced the general public. Um, the negative side. In the transaction analysis world, there was a structured hierarchy of training. Yeah. Many professors were quite interested in TA in the early 70s. I know in 1973, I particularly convened a meeting of about 50 university professors who attended the ITAA conference who were quite interested in teaching TA mm. in the universities. But there was a lot of restriction on them from teaching TA because they hadn't gone through sufficient amount of training. Right. And so a lot of people said, all right, then I won't teach it. Right. Also, there were a lot of more popular kind of books written. Mm. And so some departments of psychology said, oh, that's pop psychology. We're not going to teach pop psychology. Right. So part of it was people teaching without adequate training and Part of it was seeing it as pop psychology. Part of it, I think, was jealousy. Uh, and the other is the big popularization of behavioral therapy, okay. you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is easy to sort of measure little changes, whereas in a more dynamic humanistic therapy like TA, it's very difficult to, to measure changes. The changes are internal. Yeah, They're not so much in terms of external behavior that's measurable. So a lot of it has, has to do with the, this idea that therapy should be scientifically proven. Right. And we know through a lot of anecdotal evidence that TA works. Yeah. It changes people's lives. Yeah. But you don't, there's no way to particularly measure that. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, if a student was listening to this podcast and you wanted to share anything with them to encourage them or to affirm what they're doing, what would your message be? Get a good training program, training program that's exciting, training program where the teachers respect the students, Yeah. Um, good supervision, but beyond supervision, if you can, find a mentor, somebody who will really be there with you to support the training you're doing, challenge you on what to read, invite you to share what you're learning together, somebody who will respond to you both professionally and personally. Right. I think those are the people that really make it in the profession. There's somebody that really takes them on in a sponsoring kind of way. Right. So that's what I had. Um, and who was that for you? Bob Neville, who was one of Carl Rogers' partners. Bob Neville did the supervision in the clinic. Rogers taught the theory courses. And I was treating some survivors of a mass murder. And 
Bob Neville provided supervision for me every morning, four days a week. And I never paid him. He never asked to be paid. He did ask me to, to cook him some nice dinners a few times. <laughs> Um, but he also reciprocated by cooking for me. <laughs> um, so I just felt so cared about and nurtured as I was a naive therapist. And he had already his 40 years of experience. Right. So find a good mentor. Yeah. And for anybody who's looking for personal change and is considering seeing a therapist or seeing a coach, what would your advice be? Go so, shoe yeah. shopping. Go shoe shopping. Go shoe shop. To find a therapist? No, to find a pair of shoes. What do you do with a pair of shoes? <laughs> do you buy the first ones you try on, or do you try on different models, different sizes, okay. to see what fits? And I think you've got to take the same attitude of shoe shopping when it goes therapy shopping. Make some phone calls. Do some short interviews with the therapist over the phone. Go book with two or three different ones and see who speaks to you. Right. See who you really connect with. Good therapy is about good chemistry right. or the good size of the shoe. You know, does it cut into the bunion? Does it pinch your little toe? <laughs> um, and that's what you want to get a feel for. Um, now, Eric Byrne did say in one of his books that people often pick the second best therapist, not the best. Because they know the best one will help them really change their life. <laughs> so the other thing is, if you're trying on that pair of shoes, it might be the shoes that feel tight right now won't stay tight. You'll stretch into them. And just in closing now, in your experience, what's been the most rewarding part of being involved in transactional analysis? Watching people learn and grow. Watching people change their lives. Watching people who were drunks be sober. Watching people who were fighting in the family now at peace. Uh, watching people who were out of touch with their own children and replicating what happened in their childhood do a dramatic turnaround and treat their children differently. Right. I mean, that's the reward of this work. To see people's lives change. As always... If you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and TA resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcast and Spotify, and we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening.